0: You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love
1: to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about marriage, but first let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what has been happening with you?
0: Well, I'm just very happy to be outside of the house today. (laughs) I was down with the flu for several days, and while some symptoms are lingering, I can do most of my regular life again. And I'm appreciating all the little things, including taking a shower in my own home. Because <laughs> just before I became sick, we finished up the shower project. Yay. So the rest of the bathroom is still gutted, but it was great to be able to take numerous hot showers and baths while I was feeling ill.
1: That's awesome.
0: So thumbs up for that. What's been happening with you?
1: So I have a story about poop. <laughs> so listeners, if that's not your favorite thing. You might want to just skip ahead a little bit. But this weekend we had family in town because it was Plum's birthday, which was very fun.
0: Happy birthday, Plum.
1: And we went to brunch on Sunday morning and we were planning to have people over for the Super Bowl. So we turned on our Roomba before we left and we came back to dog poop smeared all over the floor by the Roomba (laughs) and then disassembled the Roomba and discovered that it had in fact, become a Pumbaa (laughs) (laughs) instead. So rather than prepping Super Bowl food or hanging out with my family, we spent three hours that afternoon cleaning poop out of our electronic vacuum cleaner.
0: So did it get tracked into every room in your house?
1: No, I think what happened was the poop and the Roomba met near the end of its cleaning cycle, Mm -hmm. because it was mostly just on this one runner rug that we had, and then in kind of a trail back to the Roomba's dock. Okay. That's actually a silver lining I hadn't (laughs) thought of, so thanks for that, friend. (laughs) Anytime. But the really good news about this is that we took it all apart and cleaned everything really well, which was disgusting, but also you don't (laughs) want to throw away your robot vacuum. Right. And it still works. That is good news.
0: And it's very clean. Probably cleaner than before.
1: (laughs) Yes. Much cleaner than before. (laughs) Okay. We're done with Poo Talk. Let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your latest read? So I recently finished Stay With
0: Me by Ayobami Adebayo. And this is a book that is set in Nigeria. And it spans a few decades, but is mostly in the 80s and 90s. And it follows a husband and a wife. And one of the very first scenes is the husband and wife's families come to the house and they introduce the wife to her husband's second wife. Oh, my gosh. And the reason he took a second wife is because after four years, she still has not become pregnant. And then it follows them over the next few decades and what happens after that. I liked that it made me think about what I would do in situations that are very different from my everyday life. Mm-hmm. And yet there's still all of these similarities with relationships and marriage and families and parenting and things that are universal, but seen in a different context and culture. Mm. I also learned a lot about Nigerian history. Hmm. And there's a lot about what's happening politically at the same time as what's happening within this family, to the point where I would look up things on my own because I wanted to know more about what they were talking about and get even more context for it. Overall, I did not love the book. Mm -hmm. I felt like there were these really big events that happened in quick succession. And so the emotions that came through felt forced to me because I didn't feel as invested in the characters or situation. Mm. So it was really interesting and really different, but things were changing so much chapter to chapter, it was hard to keep up emotionally with the
1: characters. Like a little bit of emotional whiplash reading it or something like that.
0: That's a good way to describe it. In terms of whether I would recommend it or not, I wouldn't not recommend it. (laughs) But it's not a book that when I finished, I just thought, oh, all these people I know have to read this to. Mm -hmm. But I did enjoy the experience, and I'm glad that I read it. What have you been reading, Abby?
1: So I recently listened to Braving the Wilderness, A Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone by Brene Brown. And this is one in a series of Brene Brown's books where she talks about research that she's done and how it relates to real life, both her life, which she weaves throughout the books, and I think the goal is that the reader takes some of these concepts into their own life as well. This book focused on building connection and being true to yourself against the backdrop of our very divided culture. So she touches on politics in this book, which I don't remember her doing in other books of hers that I've read. She makes good points about how damaging things like name-calling can be and how it can be problematic to see things without shades of gray, to just view it as one way or the other. I especially loved her perspective on gun control because I think I do tend to see gun control in black and white, but she made some really nuanced points that I think pushed me and that I really appreciated. I also really liked the take-home message of finding belonging within yourself. Yes. Some of the things I didn't love about the book were that I didn't feel like I came away with quite as clearly defined a set of actions to take if you want to sort of pursue the kind of emotional growth that she's talking about. Instructions, for lack of a better word, come across more clearly in some of her other books. And the other thing that I sort of thought about while I was listening, but then in reading more about it after I finished became pretty clear is that I identified with a lot of what she was saying and a lot of it resonated with me. But I'm a lot like her in that I'm an upper middle class white lady. Right. But I wonder if it would resonate as much with someone not like me. So I'd recommend it. It's a quick read. Brene Brown herself reads the audiobook and I think she does a great job. But I would really love to talk to other people about it because I feel like this would be a book best enjoyed in community so that you can tackle some of those tougher emotional things.
0: Well, I've been seeing that book around a lot. So I bet some of our listeners have also read it and could chime in with their thoughts. That would
1: be great, listeners, if you want to weigh in.
0: Well, before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we are offering the Friendlier Reading Experience, which is a matchmaking service for listeners who want to join a virtual book club. We've already gotten a great response, but we would love to have more of you participate. You can fill out a short form to register your interest on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. And at this point, we're still just collecting names so we can put people into the best groups, but you can expect to hear from us for sure by mid-March.
1: The idea for the Friendlier Reading Experience came out of a listener email. Thanks, Allison. And you don't have to pay to sign up. This is just something that we're doing because we love talking about books in community, and we want all of you to have the same opportunity. Now let's talk marriage. We dedicated a whole episode to talking about our weddings last year, so we're just going to start today by briefly introducing our spouses.
0: Neil and I met in college, and we started dating my senior year, and we got married halfway through grad school. So we've been together for more than a decade and
1: have been married for eight and a half years. Andrew and I also met in college. We've been together since my sophomore year. We got married when I was 23 and he was 24, and we will be celebrating our 10th anniversary in August. Exciting. So what was early marriage like for you and Neil?
0: So when I first read this question, I thought, oh, the transition was easy. It was basically (laughs) just the same as before, because we moved in together a year before we got married. And I felt like we had some things we needed to work through once we went through that transition of sharing a space, Mm -hmm. sharing a lot of financial things. And at the same time, we moved across the country together to go to grad school. So there were some bumps in the road with that. But then when I started thinking, what did our first year of marriage actually look like? And then I remembered I had a second knee surgery less than a month after we got married. Mm -hmm. Then less than three months after we got married, I left the country for six months to go live in West Africa (laughs) to complete an internship for grad school. Yep. Then when I came back, it was insanity trying to take all the classes I needed to be able to graduate on time and write my thesis and figure out what the heck we were doing after we graduated. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty unusual first year of marriage, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that could have gone in a not great direction. But I actually feel like all of those different things really solidified our relationship. And it made me feel really supported mm. and like we were true partners and gave me this confidence that we would have a life of adventure together together. And that we were prioritizing the things that were important to us, not the things that people told us we should. And that feels really good to me. And like we had a great foundation.
1: That sounds awesome. Thanks.
0: I remember particularly feeling like people didn't understand me moving to Gambia and Senegal for six months. Mm -hmm. But that is the thing that just made me feel like Neil gets it. That what was important to me was getting to have that experience and doing the research I needed to do for grad school. And what was important to him was still being on the same schedule and him getting to do the work that he needed to do and that was important to him. And that being away from each other for that time was the best way we could show our respect for each other Mm -hmm. and for what was important to each of us. What was your transition
1: like into marriage? I feel like our transition was really challenging. I think I was really emotionally reactive and didn't treat people very well when I was frustrated or angry. And I think that I was really hard to be married to. So we moved in together the May before we got married in August and we had just bought a house. We both had expectations, both of ourselves and each other, for how it would be to be married and to own a house. And expectations don't always work out the way that you want them to work out. We were both in grad school, so that was really stressful. We got married in the context of really challenging things happening in both of our extended families, so that was hard. It wasn't just that learning to live in the same space as someone and to be an adult. There were larger things happening that, to be honest, were a bigger deal than the bumps of early marriage. But despite all that, when I look back on it, I'm just really thankful to him for being so steady through it all. I think because I was so emotionally reactive, my instinct when we would have a big fight was to be like, okay, well, I guess our marriage is failing or I guess we're gonna get divorced. And that wasn't the viewpoint that he took. He was there and dedicated to our partnership and in it to do the work in a way that I'm not sure that I was. And I think that shows a lot about who he is. How do you think your marriage has changed? Since those early days.
0: I can relate to a lot of what you said about being emotionally reactive. And I think I didn't handle arguments and disagreements in the best way Mm -hmm. in the early years. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we were always fairly good about communicating, but it was the ways in which I approached things that has shifted Mm -hmm. for the better. I think part of that is also just getting to know each other better. Yep. Not that I feel like we went in not knowing each other, but there were things I didn't even know about myself that I needed Mm -hmm. that I had to figure out and then communicate. To give a concrete example, one thing that has really helped is when one of us has something that we want to say critical of the other person or of something the other person is doing Mm -hmm. that we say, hey, can I tell you something? That that makes such a huge difference to me because then I'm in the mindset of, oh, Neil has something that he wants to say that needs to change. And then I can come at it not being defensive where Mm -hmm. I would feel really ambushed even when I didn't mind being told something. And I'm happy to be aware of things that are frustrating or that need to change or something that needs to be different. Mm -hmm. But it was hard for me not to be defensive when it came at me. So just learning simple things like asking those kind of questions so the person's in the right frame of mind Mm -hmm. have made a big difference on how we communicate with one another.
1: I think that communication thing is huge because that's probably the biggest thing we've learned in our marriage too is our different styles. So I'm one who wants to hash everything out and talk everything to death all the time. Same. (laughs) That's why we're friends. It is. But Andrew prefers... To really reflect within himself and then have the discussion. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of our conflict in our early marriage was about incompatibility in those two communication styles. Yes. And what really helped us was couples therapy and a third party pointing out, look, you do this in different ways. Where can you meet in a mutually agreeable place? Right. So that your conflict can be constructive rather than really damaging.
0: I love that word constructive.
1: I feel like we've gotten better at
0: having constructive conflicts as opposed to just ones that are hurtful.
1: Absolutely. I think the other thing that both individual and couples therapy has helped both of us realize is how much our families of origin have impacted how we are as people in the world and especially in our relationship. And that kind of self-awareness and awareness of how it impacts the marriage, I think, has made a really big difference. I think we have both gotten better at separating our family and who they are from who we are and who we want to be.
0: I think that can be especially hard when we both got married so young Mm -hmm. and that when you think about it, weren't that far away from living with our families of origin. It was basically just that college and then being married, Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a decade to establish who we are as independent adults before going into that partnership. Yeah. So you are figuring that out as you go along with your partner, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really wonderful opportunity to be able to create that together, but also a really big challenge.
1: Fun and helpful to grow together and also really, really hard. (laughs) So do you think that you have a general philosophy of marriage?
0: I think my general philosophy is just that marriage is a choice. Mm. And I did not see myself as somebody who would get married young. I think we talked about that more on the wedding episode. And it helped me come to terms with the fact that my reality was different from what I imagined it to be by framing marriage as a choice. Mm. And that I wasn't saying that Neil is the one and only person I could have ever been in a lifetime partnership with, but that I was choosing that life with him. And that I was choosing to put in the time and the work to make that relationship a success. Mm -hmm. And that when you get married when you're 24, I don't know who I'm going to be or who Neil's going to be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You can't know that. Yeah. But that I'm choosing to show up for who we are both now and in the future. Mm. It gives me agency and not feeling like things are just happening to us or our marriage, but we are the ones who are in control, And of course, we aren't in control of everything that happens to us, but we are in control of how we respond to it and how we treat each other and how we communicate with one another and how we respect one another. Mm-hmm. So if I had any philosophy, that would be it. What about you?
1: I love what you talked about, about willingness to work. On the marriage and willingness to choose communication that works for both of you, because I think that's a big part of my philosophy about marriage, too, that the foundation that we've built, which now feels really strong to me, is based on that continuous choosing to turn toward each other, to communicate better, to keep the other person's desires and feelings in mind when you choose things for your own life, when you choose your behavior a lot of honesty goes into that for us and deep love and affection for each other. And I think a lot of strong marriage foundations come from that awareness of needing to choose that over and over and a willingness to do that work. Agreed. One of the big challenges to lots of marriages is having kids. How do you think having kids affected your marriage?
0: I think it's made us appreciate each other so much more because the time we have together, just the two of us now, is so limited. Mm. So when we get that time together, it feels really special in a way that it didn't before. Mm. Not that we didn't enjoy it before, but now it feels almost luxurious to have a long conversation uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. This fall, we went to a wedding in Arkansas, and it was just the two of us on the drive down there. And I remember so distinctly a few hours into the drive after we'd been talking and catching up and talking about big things and small things, just feeling like, man, I really love Neil. (laughs) Not that I hadn't been before, but it felt so amazing to connect with each other in that way that feels much more rare now.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Also, really great to feel like you still like your spouse. So... (laughs) I also think it's made us appreciate what we each bring to the table, Mm. seeing him as a parent and how patient he is and how good he is with our kids. I can tell when he's getting really frustrated, but the fact that he doesn't let that come out with our kids says a lot about him. And I know, because I'm in the same situation many times, Mm. how much self-control that takes and how much love for your kids is there to try and... Be your best self when you're with them. And I see that in him. It's also made me really feel like we're a team in a way that I had felt before with a lot of other different situations, but that I feel so strongly in the way that we parent Mm. and that we work really hard to be on the same page Mm -hmm. and to check in with each other and making sure that we're presenting a united front Mm -hmm. and that we have the same end goal. I think I have felt that most when we've recently been having some challenges Mm -hmm. with the kids. I don't know if we have the right answers or if we're handling it the right way, Mm -hmm. but that we have each other's back and that we see the problem and are approaching it together. It's made me feel really supported. And like overall, parenting has pushed us together more, Mm -hmm. even if we get less time, just the two of us. How do you feel like it's affected your relationship?
1: When you said the thing about being on the same page with Neil, that's exactly how I feel about parenting with Andrew. It's made me realize how much we're really on the same page about important things, which I'm so thankful for. And I know it doesn't go that direction in every partnership, but for us it has. I'll also say that pre-PLUM, we were in a little bit of Maybe drudgery is too strong a word, but just routine of we both go to work and we both come home and we cook something and we eat it and we watch a show or we visit. But that plum feels in many ways like a physical example of the best parts of our relationship and of ourselves. I love that. And because she's so joyful, I think it has brought a freshness to our partnership that is really welcome and wonderful. And there have been challenges, but like I said, they've more shown us how our values are aligned and how we share the really important things than they've divided us. And that has been great too. So we've talked about the past and present. What about the future of marriage? Do you have any dreams or goals for the future of your partnership?
0: Yes. Neil and I were very intentional about having children young, that we were the first of many of our friends to have kids, and that was not by accident. Because part of that is that we're still going to be fairly young when our kids are out of the house mm-hmm. and wanting to have that time together when we'll have a bit more financial flexibility than we did in our 20s. hmm So if we had put those years then, we wouldn't be able to do some of the things that we hope to be able to do in our 50s. Things like traveling more extensively and for longer periods of time, Mm -hmm. potentially living abroad for a period of time, though I'm more excited about that idea (laughs) than my spouse. (laughs) And we would also really love to build a tiny home together. That's not something we have the time or energy to do at the moment (laughs) or the desire to live in with our two children.
1: What about you? What we are really focused on right now is financial independence. And I talked about this a lot when we did our personal finance episode. Mm -hmm. But Andrew is really interested in financial independence and sort of has taken it on in our relationship about planning and helping us take steps to get there. So that's a far future goal, but that's one that we're already looking toward. Let's finish up by talking about the favorite things about our spouses.
0: So one thing I really love about Neil is how little he cares about the superficial things in life. I am not sure I really know anyone else who cares as little as he does about (laughs) what people are wearing, what they make, what they own, anything like that. It's not on his radar to the point where there have been a lot of situations where he is severely underdressed and wearing lots of things with holes in them or marching band shoes at our wedding. I forgot that he did that. He did. Not just marching band shoes. Marching band shoes that had holes drilled on the bottom and are tied together with string or rope or some sort of twine. I don't know. Because the heel was separating from the rest of it. But why would you buy new dress shoes when you had semi-good marching band shoes that you could wear. Perfectly good. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that comes through in what he does, but also how he perceives other people. Things like didn't bat an eye when I buzzed all my hair off and have Mm. multiple times. And I remember people asking me, well, what does your boyfriend think of that? (laughs) Oh, no. And I just remember thinking, I don't need my boyfriend's permission to do anything I want to do with my hair. And if he had a problem with it, we would have a bigger problem. Some words. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But that's not an issue. He prefers it. When my hair gets too long, he suggests that I buzz all my hair off. (laughs) Another thing about him that I love is that he is so clear about his values and really challenges me to never just accept something as the way it is or the thing that's easiest, or what's always been done, and to think about what is best for us and our family and the broader world. And I can find that frustrating at times, partly because it makes me feel like he's a better person than I am, (laughs) but I love that about him. And the final thing I'll say is that I love how much he has supported my work and dreams and passions and the things that are important to me. And I think there's evidence of that from early in our marriage when he supported me living abroad. And there have been times where I have thought about going back to work, and he is 100% behind whatever is going to be best for me. Mm -hmm. And that's made it so – even when things are hard, I've never felt stuck because I know that if something needs to change – that he will be there to help make that happen. What are your favorite things about Andrew?
1: So I've touched on this some already, but he is so steady and committed to things that are important to him. And that is reflected in our early marriage when he continued to work with me to address our communications challenges and a lot of his dedication to that is what has gotten us to this much more solid place we're in now. He's so committed to Plum, to being an awesome parent. He's very committed to his work. His job is not easy. It can be really demoralizing to be in science because a lot of times experiments just fail, and he continues to work and sticks with it in success and in failure, which is amazing to me. I mean, I left science because I couldn't deal with that. So, I really admire that about him. And his commitment to his work is the thing that has allowed me to be a full-time parent. His willingness to work a full-time job so that we can have insurance mm-hmm. and so that we can have the financial means to live how we live. And I really appreciate that as well. He's also really fun to hang out with. We laugh a lot together. And he's a great conversationalist. Listeners, that's the end of our marriage chat. We'd love to hear your thoughts on marriage, whether you're married or not. Let's finish by talking about what we've been eating. I am going to share about the carrot cake that my dad made for Plum's birthday. I love carrot cake. And this is a really good one. It is from this cookbook called America Cooks, which is a compilation of all these church group, women group cookbooks. Hmm. So, you know, the cookbook that people put together in the olden days that was like typewritten.
0: I do know. But when I think of those kind of recipes, I usually think of them involving lots of cans of cream of something soup yeah. and jello.
1: And jello, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not amazing carrot cake
1: so i think the benefit of this cookbook is that it's the best of all of those that's key so there are some weird cello and cream of whatever recipes in this cookbook but this carrot cake is one of the gems as is the cream cheese frosting Mm,
0: love cream cheese frosting yes
1: me too my dad was joking about just making an extra batch that we could just eat with a spoon Don't joke. Just do it. (laughs) You'll just disappoint people if you're not actually going to do it. So this recipe originally came from this book, but my dad now has it memorized because he makes it for everybody's birthday. So when someone at his work has a birthday, someone on his team, he makes it for them. It's his signature dish. And I think, to be honest, one of the only things that he cooks. (laughs) If you're going to only do one thing, this is a good one. This is a good one. So it's a really thick, dense carrot cake. And he usually does it in a 13 by 9 pan. And then it's a really thick layer of icing, probably almost half as tall as the cake. And it is amazing. The corners are my favorite part because they get like a little bit crunchy almost. Mm -hmm. And it has carrots in it. So it's like you're eating a vegetable.
0: Not like you are (laughs) eating a vegetable.
1: Excellent justifications. What have you been eating, Sarah?
0: I recently made an Instant Pot beef stew and this was a recommendation from you. I think we were chatting about it before or after recording one of our episodes, Mm -hmm. and I went straight to the grocery store afterwards. (laughs) And the stew meat that you had mentioned was on sale. And I thought, it's fate. (laughs) I have to try it. Because I can't even tell you the last time I cooked beef.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Maybe never in my life ever. Yeah. But it sounded delicious, so I bought it. So it is from the Pinch of Yum website, and you just put everything in the Instant Pot, cook it for, I think, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you take it out and put it in a pan that can go in the oven. And then that lets the meat get a little bit browned on top so it's a little bit crunchy. Mm -hmm. And so it has beef, carrots, celery, a little bit of tomato juice and flour and onions. And then I added potatoes at your suggestion because that also sounded really good. My overall thoughts were there was too much meat. Mm -hmm. We aren't a big meat family. And I added way more vegetables than was suggested, Mm -hmm. but I wish I would have halved the meat again.
1: Yeah. I think you could just do one pound of stew meat rather than two.
0: Yes. Because I found myself trying to find all the vegetables in my bowl Mm -hmm. and then left with several (laughs) chunks of meat and then wanting to get more so I could have more vegetables. And Neil felt the same way too. So I just wish there was a much higher veggie to meat ratio, but that could be easily adjusted.
1: Yeah, I've made this twice. And the second time, I just almost tripled the vegetables and left the meat the same, Mm -hmm. which made a whole lot more. But you could do a similar thing and just buy less meat. But it
0: did feel very cozy and it was very easy. Well, that's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. Remember to visit our website, friendlierpodcast.com, if you want to sign up for the Friendlier Reading
1: Experience. You can also connect with us on Instagram at friendlierpodcast or by emailing us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time,
0: may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. think that the rest is implied okay (laughs) i'm gonna keep talking
1: just felt like it was going to be a lot of me monologuing
0: yep which (laughs) all right who doesn't love that everyone loves it